0: Welcome to TA1. Everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, here with the legendary chili dog at my feet. The one and only 24-7 dog, it seems like. It's curious, uh, you know, Paul. That was the one that brought her home from Patagonia, but for some reason, around the house especially, she always wants to be with me. Must be my sterling uh, reputation I don't know She likes me What can I say um, This week's episode With uh, Michael Mattinson Has been sitting around for a while Maybe longer than any other episode I've had But um, It's kind of science It's really cool um, What we talk about Some of it I have no clue what it means But um, Finally uh, Getting around to uh, putting it up it looks like I may even have feel to get a little bit ahead so we won't uh, miss out while I'm in Australia for worlds so not much more than that going on um, thinking about starting to think about packing but I got like two weeks yet so no use getting in a hurry um, other than that, pretty excited to be going, I'm talking to a lot of people, so it should be uh should be able to bring you some interesting stories from the race. So huh. Hell that's enough for tonight. Let's get this up so you can hear it. Um Go fast, take chances. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hello. Hi Michael, how are you?
1: Good, how are you?
0: Um Good. I spent all morning staining <laughs> logs though, so I'm, okay <laughs> I'm I'm ready to have a nice chat and then go take the dog out for a hike how's that sound
2: sounds quite nice actually
0: I think it will be um, so where are you at right now you little, now, little a, globe hopper <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm in Sweden I'm uh, outside Stockholm
0: so, and what do you do there what is it that you do let's just get general uh, start
2: from the beginning. Yeah. Um, so I, my my work is in in research um, and uh, physiology. So yeah. I do my my teaching part, my assistant professorship in in uh, Stockholm in Sweden, mm-hmm. and then I do my basically the research part of my work in in the states in California, Stanford.
0: So, how had- how does that happen? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to, to well, yeah,
2: uh, <laughs> good question. Huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely good question. Uh, so I started my, my research and, and um, basically scientific career in Stockholm, uh, and from the very beginning, uh, I went into to research about ultra endurance sports and adventure racing. Uh, it started quite naturally because the physiology department in, in uh, Stockholm uh, has been been world known since since uh, the fifties basically, uh, and they had general interest in the the most extreme. Uh, and since I've been working and, and competing with the adventure racers, I had uh, knowledge about the sport and knew a lot of people, so I had sort of speak access to the athletes mm. uh, and and this is 11, 11 12 years ago we started uh, and and uh, back then not many research teams in the world were interested in, in <laughs> <laughs> ultra endurance or adventure mm. sports so one of the other people that were interested in was uh, you and Ashley uh, he was at this time in, in uh Oxford in England. So they did basically the first research on on, uh, adrenaline rush. Uh, I think they they investigated the two thousand one version of adrenaline rush. Uh, So we had contact, and he moved to to Stanford. Uh, So I've been going back and forth there since I think two thousand eight, and they have a lot of resources uh, at that place. So it's easier for me to do good research there. Mm. Uh, but I still want to keep my position and, and life in Sweden as well.
0: Well, i make sense. So, what what exactly are you studying with adventure racers and, and what are you hoping to find from them?
2: Uh, from the beginning, we've, we started with the, the notion it shouldn't be possible to do this. Hmm. Uh, If you read the textbook about physiology, uh, the things that are supposed to happen, uh, if you go on for one hour or three hours or five hours, if you draw the line to Hmm. four days, you should be almost dead, at least crawl over the finish line. Uh, And we know that is not the case. Usually. So (laughs) So something else must happen uh, physiologically. Hmm and that's interesting
1: Uh,
2: and also I look at at, uh, the heart and cardiac physiology and so there were um, maybe fear that it was uh, dangerous to do uh, long races, that was the the starting point basically and so we didn't know what could happen, we didn't know uh, how the body reacts so we uh, actually teamed up with many different research groups that did their uh, speciality uh, on the material. So we had uh, parts about the uh, nutrition and, and uh, energy expenditure to cardiology and, and uh, heart adaptation and hormonal changes and, and mitochondrial changes. So so everything from skeletal muscle to heart and, and hormones.
0: You know, so and, and what are you finding? How come, how come adventure racers aren't dying as they cross the line? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I think the easiest way of, of uh, putting it is that physiology uh, or adaptation to exercise changes after six hours. Hmm. So what you can read in the textbook is hold true for, for six hours. Uh, but if you go on for longer, uh, many different aspects change. So if you're training for, for Ironman or longer, uh, there are different, different aspects that you have to take into consideration than if you train for more traditional distances. And it also makes sense that you know that people that are, have experience in ultra endurance or many years of experience uh, tend to be better and win the races even though they would not outperform uh, runners or cross country skiers in the traditional physiological testing
0: so they're training if you've been in adventure racing for a long time you're training your body to be an adventure racer even if you're not the strongest person in the world in two hours is that how it's that's what happening exactly
2: so you so basically you can't be the same way you can't Win the 100 meters um, dash mm-hmm. and the marathon uh, in the same person yeah. with the same person. You you will not win uh, 10k racing and uh, ultra endurance
0: racing. Yeah. Um. What do you, what? Two two sort of questions. What kind of things are you measuring with athletes? And is it like, are you doing it real time during races or in the laboratory?
2: Um, First question, all types of of, of things, we've measured uh, blood changes, uh, changes in in, uh, uh, cardiac output, the the blood volume from the heart, Uh, muscle biopsies, taking small pieces of the muscle and measuring a lot of things in that, Uh, so so many, many, many different uh, aspects of, of that the adaptation and we've done um, lab testing so simulating adventure races 12 and 24 hours uh, in labs actually six 12 and 24 hours uh, and also in the I think the most I think it, the most extreme way of testing was during the 2006 World Championships that was up in, in Sweden north of Sweden and Norway we actually tested uh, or four teams during the actual race hmm. uh, so every 24 or 36 hours they were uh, we had blood drawn uh, and they had to do some some testing including uh, biking on a program arg- stationary bike
0: no oh, I'm sure that went over well like you don't need any sleep can you come over and jump on this bike for a few minutes <laughs> yep yep <laughs> So. I'm very
2: impressed with the the uh, teams that participated that was awesome but we got a lot of a lot of uh, great results from that study
0: did that so let I mean that sounds like that was kind of that race did that uh, like validate your ideas or did it push you in a different different direction of what you were thinking about
2: well well we did that basically to validate and we found the same things we had found earlier. Uh, that was, I think, the biggest, most important thing, that we could prove the same thing in the actual live setting mm. that we found in the lab.
0: Yeah, because I'm, I'm a dummy. but So, I mean, you, you, you do these tests in the lab, but yeah. then you go out in the field, and the results match up the way you think you were, which means you can keep testing in the lab. Is that sort of correct? Sort of
2: correct, or definitely correct, but you can also say that then we can trust the result we found in the lab mm-hmm. so that they can, can uh, be applied to the practical situation. Uh, so one thing, for example, We could say, we can say that uh, if you do many races or do long distance, uh, you will be better. The most more important thing is to try to explain why you're getting better. Hmm. So without being too detailed, uh, so for example, one of the things we found is that the uh, immune response uh, is different in the people that... Uh, are successful compared to the people that uh, had to, to uh, drop out of the race. Uh, and and the immune response, for example, will, will uh, uh, make you tired or, or uh, weak. Mm. So if you have done a lot of races, uh, that response from the body uh, is basically telling you it's not that bad, you can continue. So even though everything with your body is the same. An experienced racer would not have the same feeling of that does
0: that, train. yeah. So does that sort of explain why people can be so miserably sick, you know, in the middle of a you know, two days into a seven day race and then two days later they're fine? They've just <laughs> they've just trained your body not to worry about it?
2: Not really. We can't explain we, we can't explain that.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: that's interesting.
0: well, it is because I mean, how many races with a team is has at least one person hasn't been sick during a race, right?
2: Yeah. It's most of the times. Yeah, you feel feel like crap at least a couple of hours. mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So, kind of a two parter here. Have 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 you done experiments on yourself? And then what is what is all of this studying done for your racing?
2: Uh, definitely tested on myself. Uh, when we started, we had to do a lot of tests just to to design the studies because back then no one had done any any lab simulations of adventure racing or motorsport. Uh, so we did quite a lot of six-hour races ourselves from the lab and just to, to design everything and then uh, see what you do. And, and if it's even possible to sit on a kayak for two hours and then change to to a treadmill then go on and how to do the actual testing during that. And how many minutes will it take to take muscle biopsy and then go back to to um, treadmill and things like that. Hmm. And for my own training, I think that's... Uh, I'm at least supposed to have a good knowledge of how you should train.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I try to apply that to get uh, as good as possible with the minimal amount of training.
0: Yeah. So is that kind of one of those things like, yeah, do do as I say, not as I do?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I try to to live as I, I learn. Uh, I think one of the... we worked with... Uh, many of the best Swedish teams uh, back then mm-hmm. uh, and one. In order to lure them into participating in those crazy tests, uh, we also had to provide them with the information and, and guidance uh, immediately
1: mm-hmm.
2: or as soon as possible. So uh, we we did a lot of uh, characterization of the adventure racing athlete uh, and at the uh, Swedish School of Sport and Health Sciences, we had access to the results from the best uh, runners and the best cyclists and the best characters. Uh, so we could compare the adventure racer results and, and body composition and strength and thresholds in, in different sports, for example, with the best, and then design the, or suggest, I should say, the uh, training regime going forward. Say, so for example, we saw that a lot of the adventurators came from either uh, biking or running or cross country skiing. Uh, so they were farther, farther from the characters uh, than r- the runners, for example. And, and basic physiology uh, knowledge is that if you're bad at something it's easier to train yourself to be okay than from okay to good and then very difficult to, to train yourself from good to very good. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of a lot of the Swedes at that time had to go into more intense uh, kayaking training for example, in order to perform better overall.
0: So, Well that makes sense but so from that point of view how much time should you spend on your your weakest like you know if you're a good runner you're a good biker but you're a weak kayaker how mm-hmm. how maybe a better way of putting it is should you concentrate on getting better on the bike in the run or should you concentrate on the getting better in the kayak
2: yeah uh and, and the thing you see immediately is that that's uh that has to be an individual choice mm-hmm. or an individual situation or motivation. Um because it will differ depending on what race you're going to do next. If you know the distances, for example, mm-hmm. and also what team you're in, uh, if you will be. If you're in a super strong bike team and then you have one person that's not as good, then you will lose more time in total dragging uh, that person. So that person should perhaps focus on the eye-picking, even though they are good, but not as good as the rest of the team. And in another situation, it might be better for the entire team to focus on on, on the weaknesses. Um, so it's not, not an easy question, uh, mm-hmm. but the first thing you need to know is uh, your capacities. Uh, 12 years ago, not many of the adventurers even knew their capacities in the different sports. Yeah. Uh, so the first step is to, to know your, your uh, profile and then you can design your training machine after that.
0: Okay, well that makes sense. Um, so let me ask you this, do you ever just go out and play or is your training all real structured? My own training, yeah. My own
2: training is definitely not structured. <laughs> it's uh, I, I uh, train for fun, okay. basically, yeah. uh, and I love to train with other people. So I usually tag along with their training sessions.
0: Yeah. So you let some, not, yeah, let somebody else figure out what you have to do, and you just go do it with them.
2: Yeah, or I train with different people, yeah. so I know that I should, should, maybe yeah. not do the same. Training session every single day, not the same type of training. Uh, but I don't consider myself an elite athlete in any any
0: sense.
2: Uh, yeah. Priority time is my my work and other things.
0: Yeah. Um. How do I want to say this? Do you get? Um. Uh, how do I want to put it? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> Does, does your weight as a researcher as as Dr. AR as I've heard carry a lot of weight in the in the adventure race community or does and, and how does that compare to being an adventure racer carry any weight in the research community
2: ooh yeah that's a, that's a nice question uh, it it just took <laughs> me
0: a long time to figure out how to ask it yeah yeah
2: uh, the I think the the uh, blunt answer is uh, none whatsoever mm-hmm. uh, in any of the situations. That's not exactly true. Uh, I think that in the adventure racing world, it carries more weight if you're a good racer. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but people people still ask me. Uh, about training, mm-hmm. uh, which is reasonable, I think, uh, and the way they could tweak their, their training.
0: Yeah. So, are they so, like, so. do they like come up to you, you know, you're out for a little run or something, and they kind of like, um, I was just wondering, <laughs> um, how do I become world class? That happens. Uh, <laughs> and you just tell them to train really, really hard?
2: Actually, depending on the level, uh, most people should just train more Mm -hmm. uh, and train for, for, uh, I I could say, more years, need more training in total and more skills, Mm -hmm. more technical skills and more more knowledge and experience uh, and just be stronger. So that's pretty easy, Uh, but then I do help some of the best athletes and then it's more from my side, more interesting to help them um, uh, optimize their training. So, you've quite a lot as well uh, yeah.
0: in in line with my research. Yeah, um, this isn't exactly. Yeah, this might not be exactly in in a question you can answer. But if if a person came up to you, you know, and is fit, maybe a normal person, you know, runs, does a little bit. Yeah. How long do you think it would take them to become the best adventure racer that they could be, considering you know all the skills you need, the training?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, first of all, uh, it's not certain that you can be the best mm-hmm. because it's quite um, diverse yeah. demands and quite uh, specific demands as well. So, for example, we have some some of some extremely good runners and, and um, world-class in swimmer run and biking uh, combined in, in one person, uh, but that person might not be able to stay awake for three days.
1: Mm.
2: And, and that's to some extent trainable, but not to a big extent.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so that person will never be world-class adventure racer. What might be world-class uh, Ironman triathlete, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then it depends on, on uh, of course, your your training status and your response to training. Uh, and and also, I should say, the amount of time you're willing to put in to your training mm-hmm. and your goal of the coming fast.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pretty time intensive sport, isn't it?
2: Uh, it can be, yeah. but if you have done many years, uh, I know some of the, the sweets that are really good and well-ranking uh, don't train more than 10 hours a week.
1: So.
2: Um, and some other train uh, 20 hours a week, um, all depending on your, your profile. No. I keep telling profile a lot of the time, uh, one of the biggest projects I'm doing in, in, at Stanford at the moment is uh, genetics of uh, endurance athletes. So we see from a practical perspective, we know since forever, I think, that some athletes respond to some type of training and some other athletes doesn't respond at all to that training, but if they change the coach or if they change their training, regime they're getting way better uh, quite fast and we also know that we have one world champion that are trained this way and then another world champion equally good trained uh, completely
1: completely.
0: yeah yeah, there's no one size fits all is there
2: no but it would be interesting to see if, if we in the future can say from the start or through a test that you have this profile you would benefit the most from this type of training Respond best to this
0: stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Nowadays,
2: you have to to uh, apply trial and error, basically.
0: Oh yeah, so you can just well yeah, that makes sense. They won't they wouldn't spend six months trying something that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, is there both uh, physiologically and, and I don't know if you can answer this uh, mentally. Is is there one or two things that you see in every really, really successful adventure racer?
2: Uh, well, I think from a psychological perspective, it's uh, more clear. Mm. Um, from, uh, in, in the physiological department, it's basically that you need some sort of, of uh, um, good work efficiency uh, in combination with... Uh, ability to eat and keep food because the the biggest problem is energy if you don't get enough energy and and, waste energy your body wasting energy and you're not being able to to add energy uh, then you can't do a four-day race at any higher speed Mm. so So that is even yeah doesn't depend doesn't doesn't matter how good you are uh, from a physiological or speed perspective if you can't eat and uh, get enough energy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If you can't go the distance. Yeah
0: that well makes a lot of sense. Have you done any any work on nutrition or is is you leave that to other people? Uh, no we've
2: done quite a lot of, of work with uh, nutrition and uh, try different uh, aspects and have. actually um, project with the uh, the military, the Swedish Armed Forces, not not the adventure racing team, but the actual Armed Forces mm-hmm. uh, with nutrition and, and uh, what you should eat to, to be able to, to sustain your physical ability for, for days. Yeah.
0: Well, what's, what's the secret? <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you the secrets. Oh, shoot. I thought maybe I, if I snuck that in there, <laughs> I'd fool you.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, not right now, at least. Yeah. But going back to your question, from a psychological perspective, uh, not not my research, but there have been others looking at that, uh, seeing that the ability to move on uh, in terms of you you will have uh you will make errors. You will have disappointments. Uh, the ability to let that go and continue mm-hmm. moving on uh, is crucial in adventure racing.
0: So yeah, you make a mistake. You you scream and yell you, for thirty seconds, and then and then just keep going, right?
2: Yeah, you can't dwell.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and it that kind of seems that's, seems obvious actually, to me, but yeah, are there a lot of people that can't do that?
2: absolutely huh. <laughs> but most people tend not to do many adventure races
0: that's true we we get kind of a one-sided uh view of adventure racers on the podcast because you guys are all adventure racers Yep, yep. <laughs> so but uh well which let's let's uh this is pretty fascinating what you're doing but how did you become an adventure racer because that's always fascinating too
2: uh, I think it's. Uh, I, I did a lot of other endurance sports uh, earlier, uh, running, cross country skiing, um, and I think I just. The, the cruel way of saying it is that you tend to go to longer distances if you're not good enough for the shorter ones. Mm-hmm. So everyone would like to win the 100 meters, uh, 100 meter dash. And if you don't you go to longer distance and yeah. the longer distance and the people that are not good at anything they end up as adventurers.
0: <laughs> well I, I, I'm not going to argue that <laughs> <laughs> that does seem to be you're you're okay at a lot of things yeah uh,
2: so I had a, a uh, background in many different uh, endurance sports and I'm uh, quite big uh, hundred ninety 90 pounds or so, uh, so the the uh, shorter running distances are um, to basically too heavy to be really good. Uh, and and uh, in adventure racing, it's uh, actually the benefit to be a bit bigger. If you're too little, uh, the backpack you have to carry is a bigger percentage of your body weight, mm-hmm. so it's uh, relatively heavier for you. Uh, so, and also, if I did cross-country skiing. Uh, was uh, overall trained, so the upper body was not terrible, uh, which is good if you go into kayaking as well. Yeah.
0: So, so did, I think yeah,
2: it suited me you know,
1: in a good way.
0: Yeah. So did you? Did did you? Was your first adventure racer adventure race like? I think I might be good at that, or you just like that looks like fun, and then you realize you might be good at it.
2: Uh, I think it was uh, more of an uh, adventure and experience Mm -hmm. the first time. I did my first adventure race uh, in 1999, so 17 years ago, Uh, early early days. First long adventure race, shorter Mm races, six hours before. at that time we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into uh, so just uh, the gear was terrible and we didn't know anything and it was in a, it's it was in in the end of May in Sweden um, usually it's quite warm but also it can snow <laughs> and this particular race the first second night I think it was snowing so we we struggling through half a feet of snow, and everyone was terribly cold and was miserable uh, altogether. Uh, they was still still fun in some aspects, uh, but you also realized quite fast that uh, there were many many ways to improve
0: yeah. <laughs> but yeah you you're the typical adventure racer, the first one was kind of miserable and sort of sucked, but you came back again again and again.
2: Yeah, uh, and then I raced with uh, at high level uh, for, for a couple of years, uh, five, six years, uh, and then the research basically took over, uh, so I didn't do any races for quite some time, uh, and then then I got cooled, cooled back in again uh, to, to Naira, New York Adventure Racing Association. I uh, say as they, they needed an experienced racer uh, with uh, two newcomers to the sport, uh, not necessarily that fast. So did a race with them in, in Belize in 2014. It was really fun.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a cool race. Highly recommend it to anybody. Right.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, I think the the great part was that the experience that I had built up for many years uh, was still there. I was not as well trained as before, but uh, in adventure racing, experiences have bigger has a bigger impact on your success. Mm-hmm. So it went quite well.
0: Yeah. So when you're racing with you know two two rookies were you were you able to just like be the boss to help them out just like you know okay let's do this or well, did, or did you that, have to make their own mistakes
2: uh <laughs> trying to i basically uh, elimination of mistakes mm-hmm. is to a large extent done even before you start the race but, so, uh, knowing uh, nutrition strategies and knowing what gear to bring and not to get bring uh, is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, in discussions that, around that, uh, I think it was helpful I can bring something to the table. Yeah. Uh, and in that race, uh, uh, Olaf Hedberg, I don't know if he's been on the podcast, at least his yep. wife, Whitney. Yep. So, that was Whitney's uh, first long race. Uh, and I've raced with uh, Olaf uh, back in the early days, okay. uh, so he was experienced as well, uh, yeah. at least to some extent. So he was the team captain. So I didn't have a role of being uh, the boss. when the thing was just uh, my role was to be experienced and and try to so. uh, keep everyone uh, as happy as possible.
0: So yeah, sort of mentor. It's kind of funny you mention Whitney because I'm sitting here at my, you know, at the computer and the, uh, my desktop is four people running coast hearing at God's own, and mm-hmm. Whitney's one of the four. Yep. <laughs> so.
1: Awesome.
0: That's <laughs> uh. I I keep thinking it's a small world in adventure racing and it is because. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Two degrees of separation with everybody, but so so you got sucked back in with Naira, and so that was in fourteen. So have you you've been racing pretty much fairly regularly since then, because you did uh, uh, NARS right with them.
2: Yeah, we won NARS uh, uh, later twenty fourteen as well. So that was fun, and then I think uh, I was called in as a experienced, not necessarily good racer, uh, and they. They are becoming better and better mm-hmm. uh, all the time and move to Colorado and I'm training much more. So I think they are um, out of my league at the moment. <laughs> 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 so I actually got the call, a similar call, two years later uh, from, from a Swedish team uh, that were pretty much in the same situation. They had uh, two people uh, that were experienced, had tried a few. One or two long races, and and couldn't, uh, hadn't finished, and needed a good navigator and uh, an experienced racer. So I was back in, in the jungle in Belize with uh, probably Sumi uh, two years mm-hmm. later. So,
0: and how yeah. how how did your mentoring go with that? I, I do know uh, you were you were smart enough to ask for a coke. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it went uh, way better than than he uh, expected. So I think uh, we we ended finished fourth in that race. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, absolutely perfect. Yeah.
0: Oh, we're good. And then you guys came to Cowboy Tough this last month. How mm-hmm. how the uh, how'd that come about? Were you just looking for another World Series race or?
2: Yeah, pretty much, and it's. Uh, uh, I had done the the Top uh, the year before with uh, Naira as well, mm-hmm. so I knew the 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 terrain, and I knew that the organisation is very very good, uh, it's a nice race, and was uh, good in timing, uh, and also an opportunity to see if if the uh, fourth place in Belize was just a fluke or if we could uh, actually perform.
1: Second
2: race, oh. and and to that race, I actually trained a little more <laughs> before the race. Uh, so for me, it was an, an uh, easier and, and uh, better race.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, this this is a uh, stereotypical question, but do you guys, as as Swedes, how was the heat for you, or is is that a you know a fallacy that the northern climates can't handle heat.
2: Uh, I think it's it's a valid point, valid question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I live most of the year in in California, uh, so I don't have a problem with the
0: heat. Yeah, so you're okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Did the rest of the team, you know, have a little problem or we able? I mean, you know, everybody has a little problem in the heat, right? Yeah,
2: sure. It's a it's a strain on, on your body, yeah. so it should be be uh, more difficult with heat than not heat and you also have the altitude Uh, and i think comparing this year's uh, cowboy tough to last year's think last year was definitely both warmer and colder Uh, were part of uh, last year's race that were really hot Uh, and i had Fewer days of of acclimatization uh, to to altitude. So the last year was was tougher for me. Than many of you.
0: Well, well you weren't training well, either. No. Yeah. Is no a technical question. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, <laughs> I was interrupted for a second. Um. How is is there a formula that will tell you how Bad. The heat will affect you. Can you say, well, if it's 70 degrees, you can work at this. You know, put out this much work. At 80, it's it's going to drop down. Uh, yeah,
2: pretty much. So. Um, if you have, if you can measure body temperature, you can uh, be pretty spot on. Uh, because it's not the heat itself that's the problem; mm. it's the uh, reaction. Physiological reaction and your, your core temperature uh, mainly. So, for example, in the for, uh, military operations, you have um, charts of, of uh, how many degrees it is, uh, how fast you're allowed to walk with what uh, amount of um, weight in your backpack.
0: Uh, so, it, it, it's not just uh, some people actually just work. Better in the heat, right?
2: Yeah, heat you can actually uh, adapt to. So the more you work in heat, the the better you will be at uh, handling it, uh, which is uh, not the same way for cold. Yes. Uh, so you, you don't adapt to cold physiologically. You can adapt by have better strategies, but not physiologically.
0: That's pretty. That's interesting. Why? Why does that? Is there a reason why that works? Why you can't adapt to cold and you can to heat?
2: Well, well, basically, adaptation to heat is uh, kind mm-hmm. of the same way of uh, training you to better endurance. Okay. Uh, so, so one part is uh, being able to sweat more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet really, the evaporation is the important thing on the body. But just sweat more and to save Uh, Minerals so that your sweat is lower in concentration of of, uh, uh, salts and tannins and other electrolytes. Uh, And also, uh, adaptation to heat includes uh, higher blood volume. So, there are basically several uh, already known physiological adaptations that are. Also beneficial in heat, so the body knows how to, to handle that, uh, which is not the same way uh, or the opposite way
0: to handle cold. Okay, yeah. so the, the, another silly question, I think, but you always run into people that are in the middle of the winter, you know, in a t shirt, and they're like, The cold doesn't bother me, mm-hmm. but doesn't the cold have to? affect their body even if they don't feel it? No, no? not necessarily, really? uh,
2: especially not if you're uh, running. Okay. So the biggest problem, uh, one of the biggest problems with endurance is getting rid of, of uh, excessive heat. Uh, so the, the work efficiency of the body is uh, somewhere around 20%. So twenty percent of the energy is, or is actual work, and then eighty percent is becoming heat. Hmm. So in order to not get overheated, you need to get rid of that heat. Yes. So in a warm climate, it's more difficult to get rid of the heat in a warm uh, humid climate, it's almost impossible In a cool climate, it's very easy hmm. uh, and and the differences is, is uh, huge yes.
1: Yeah.
2: So you, if you're sitting still, you might be freezing, um, but if you're running at a decent pace, you're, uh, you're <clears throat> producing uh, maybe 15 times more heat. Uh, so as long as you're moving, the cold is usually not a problem. Huh. Okay. Uh, and that is usually a problem with the finger or toes. Yeah. You might freeze but if you're running or if you're working, working at exercising, uh, blood is flowing through fingers and toes so. to be cold uh, all the time. It's, it's, a, it's a small problem as long
0: as you're
1: moving.
0: Yeah. And do some people actually, even at rest, are, are they burning more? Are they making more heat than other people?
2: Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, so that is one part of work efficiency, so um, so basically the best adventure racers might be colder in uh, uh, everyday life.
0: Huh. Interesting. There you go, everybody, a tip. If you're cold in everyday life, you'll be a good adventure racer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that's a scientific principle that I just heard right there, so yeah, well, now we all know what an idiot I am. <laughs> yeah. So am. Um, no, no. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So you you took like a four or five year break from adventure racing. Mm-hmm. Um, is it more fun now, or was it more fun when you were maybe you know a little more competitive?
2: Uh, I'm having much more fun now, and uh, I think I realised that in, in uh, Belize in, in 2014. Mm-hmm. If you compete at a level below your ability, just tiny bit below. Mm-hmm. So you never, you never go in, you're never going on red. Uh, you're always tiny bit comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so much nicer, uh, more fun to do the races. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily much slower, uh, but in the the earlier days, I competed with with people that were. Uh, more well trained than me, so I was always uh, struggling.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So that is de- definitely harder. Uh, might be more fun to win more races, uh, but but the at my point in life it's uh, more fun uh, experience uh, the races. And, and so.
0: so you're you're kind of you're more on the adventure side of adventure racing this time than the racing side. Yeah, with
2: the twist that I have a lot of experience and knowledge Mm. so that the results are, I would say at least, uh, decent still.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you guys, I think, yeah, well, the last two races you were at where I was at, I think both of them you did quite well.
2: Yeah, I think the three last World Series races I have track record, Fifth,
0: fourth, seventh, tenth. Yeah, that's not that's not bad. I don't think so. What do you personally consider a good race? You know, is is it where you place? Is it placing a little better than you thought you might, or is it just personal satisfaction? I mean, when you get when you get done with a race, how does it qualify to be a good race for you?
2: Um. Mm. I, I think uh, I would lie if I didn't say that the results, the, the actual result list is uh, important to some extent yeah. uh, and, and uh, being being able to say that it's at least okay yeah. uh, is important for the race to be good and then the uh, execution of the race I think is very important so that you could say that we did the best we could we had some problems but we didn't do any major mess-ups uh, or we handled the mess-ups uh, in a good way and, and uh, got back from the mistakes uh, that is important and then i think a good race in adventure racing also needs some some um, some extreme moments uh, that might be a, a, an incredible uh, sunset or or uh, uh, scenery from a uh, top of a mountain or or just uh, an awesome single single track on a bike,
0: yeah do you look for those moments during a race or, you know do you pay attention and and maybe even say to the rest of the team hey let's let's stop for fifteen seconds and look at this,
2: yeah, nowadays I do yeah uh, so so the the uh, second round of, of uh, adventure racing I definitely do yeah. uh, and I try to. Remind the the rest of the team as well as you said about it, uh, taking it in and enjoying the situation as well.
0: Yeah, well, and I would think to be a successful team, you'd all kind of want to be on that wavelength to start with. You, you know you don't want the one person that thinks thinks and wants to be first place, right? If you're a third place team. No, that is that is
2: very important, and that is again something that you should do before the start of the race. So, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have started racing again uh, with the race with a team that wanted to be uh, actually competing to win. Yeah. That was their main goal. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't have. I'm not prioritizing the time to to enough training. Yeah. Since I know quite exactly how much training you need to do, or how much I would need. To put in to being a successful actor. Yeah. You
0: you know you know what it needs, and, and at this point in your life, you're not. You don't want to. Not, go there. I'm not willing to to do that. Yeah. I'm not prioritizing that. So uh,
2: then then it's very important for me that the team is on the same wavelength. Yeah. They I I know my ability. Uh, I'm, I'm able to compete at this level. Uh, it's. Quite a lot of work uh, to put it to the next. So, to move to the next
1: level.
0: Yeah, you, you, you might be able to, but you don't want to right now.
1: True. Yeah.
0: So um, let's we'll wrap this up, and I have just a two part future question. Um, okay. What's your what is what is your goal in your research career, and what's kind of the goal or the next thing in your adventure race career?
2: I think that the goal in the research career is uh, around uh, the, the genetics of, of uh, ultra endurance so the long-term goal is to be able to uh, individualize training uh, to be able to do uh, in a systematized maybe better way uh, individualized training both for for athletes and also for everyday Joe uh, if you're doing two training sessions a week it would be nice if uh, anyone could tell you you should focus on these
1: okay. two
2: sessions this week uh, so that is definitely my, my goal in the research area
0: so uh, it, quick question on that and in this is, <laughs> you probably can't answer this when when will that be available for the average person i mean do you have a a guess and i'm sure that's all it would be as a guess because yeah. it, it'll go to the elite athletes first, right, and then probably trickle um, down.
2: Probably yeah. not necessarily, because okay. uh, actually, uh, it's quite a big step for a for a system mm-hmm. to be as good as a experienced coach. Okay. And the athletes, the elite athletes, will have an experienced coach mm-hmm. yeah. that could uh, tell them when to back down and. Then when to change uh, training session and and stuff like that. Uh, And that is very, very difficult to do uh, in an automatized way. Uh, So it might be be easier to some extent to do it for the average Joe, uh, because then you don't need it to be uh, perfect, so to speak. It can be at a lower level of good, Uh, but still much better than what was there before.
1: Yeah,
0: Well, and that's Uh why I'm not a researcher, because I'd have gone the completely wrong way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And also, you see that you can build that type of um, knowledge or or artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. into potentially into the uh, uh, fitness trackers and smartwatches that uh, people are using now.
1: Uh
2: So. Uh, So and I, can't, I could give you a date of what time it will take, but uh, the technology and the knowledge is moving forward very, very fast. Uh, so it's, so. it's already in, in place of, of uh, programs and, and uh, situations. Mm. Possibilities being out there very soon, but then they will not be great yeah. um, the first, first time around.
0: It, well, is that something that, like, when it gets out in the real world that will help refine refine it? Yeah,
2: definitely. So it's kind of a catch-22. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
2: you need to put something out there that's, that you know from the beginning. It's not very good in order to get more data from people so that you can refine the system uh-huh. so that it will become better.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh. Um,
0: yeah. Okay. And from the adventure, yeah, adventure racing,
2: <laughs> I think it's to, to continue to do a couple of races a year uh, and try to go to uh, different places,
1: yeah. you
2: know, different places in the world and, and uh, have fun doing the races and do them as fast as possible.
0: Yeah. Cool. Do you have a, a specific, uh, maybe not race, but place that you'd like to go race? I
2: think that uh, South America will be uh, great. Uh, There are a few races even this uh, spring. In, in I think, Paraguay, Ecuador, and maybe Chile. uh, This spring, yeah. Uh, So that will be a dream to race in in one of those uh, in South America. And then uh, I think uh, God's Own uh, is definitely on the bucket list as well.
0: You're, you're not an adventure racer if that's not on your bucket list. I think so. <laughs> so um, all right, I'm done. I'm, I almost feel Good. I almost feel like I uh, I learned something, <laughs> which which says something to you because I think you explain things pretty pretty well to the uh, semi-average person.
2: Well, that's that's nicely said. <laughs> Thank
1: you
0: for that. So, um, all right, I'm gonna go, and I better tell people because you're at Stanford, right? Yep. All right, so um, if you look at my Facebook profile, it says something about graduated Stanford. and guess what? That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> not everything on Facebook and the internet is true. So, but really? but I'm gonna I'm gonna say that you're my uh, contemporary at at Stanford. How's that thing? You're my contact there.
2: Contact. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's fine.
0: Yeah, so thank you very much. This has been fun. Thank you. All right, everybody else go fast, take chances and get your get a genetic check in a few years. <laughs> Sounds great. All right, thanks, Michael. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye.